evening. I am sorry, we're running a minute late, a minute late, but we're getting started here this evening. Okay, okay, good, thank you. All right. Worry, anxiety, depression. Two emotions and an emotional state. So since we're talking about things that involve emotions and an emotional state, the topics can be emotional. So uh, the topics will be emotional. Uh, so I, I want to tread very carefully. I want to um, make the only goals being this being encouraging and edifying and uh, God glorifying. And so we'll, we'll be very careful um, to be as um, gracious as we can in covering these topics because uh, it, they're emotional topics. And um, there are so many that um, battle these three things, so many. Um, I struggled with how to start this class, um, really struggled with the way to go about starting it in such a way where we approach it in a very disarming way um, and in a very encouraging and uplifting way. And I heard something yesterday and I thought, wow, that, uh, that is a great way to start this class because it, it helps us understand one of the reasons for the importance of uh, embracing these topics and these issues. Uh, there's so many things that worry, anxiety, depression do that rob us. In fact, I'll, I'll refer to these three things on occasion during the course of the next few Wednesdays as a gang of thieves because that's, that's what they are. They're a gang of thieves and they rob us of a lot of things when when they become um, overpowering, disabling in the ways that they are capable of doing. And um, one of the things that worry, anxiety, depression rob us of is hope. When you get to the point where um, you're dealing with depression, um, now all of a sudden you're feeling hopeless. I think hopelessness and depression are two peas in a pod. And I was listening to a piece of, I don't know if it was an audio book that Norm MacDonald had written about himself or if it was part of an interview, I don't know. But some of you may know who Norm MacDonald is. He's a comedian who passed away last year. And um, those that know him have described him as a deep thinker. He was always looking, always searching. In fact, I'll share a quote with you here in just a moment that, that really kind of outlines um, the searching that he involved himself in uh, for a big portion of his adult life. And, and I learned through listening, and this was his words that I was hearing, and I learned that he, for many years in his adult life, was a gambling addict. Uh, in fact, he lost his entire fortune three different times in his life, went completely and totally broke due to his gambling addiction. And he said, I think there was one occasion where he went to see a psychiatrist to try to get some help with overcoming his addiction to gambling. 
And this, this is what he said, quote, the only time I went to a psychiatrist, it was for gambling. And he was like, you gamble to avoid life. And I was like, isn't that why you do everything? And so he didn't feel like he got a lot out of the session that he had with the psychiatrist concerning his gambling. So he tried to figure out why. Why am I drawn to this? Why do I allow it to um, overtake me? Why do I allow it to, to rob me of, of all of my money? And he said, it's not the thrill of the win. Um, he, he said, I, I got no pleasure when I would win. Uh, he said, I really didn't really get much pleasure during the act of gambling. And he said, when I really just started dissecting the experience and, and my personal experience, he said, there was one moment in the whole process, and, and the particular game he was describing at the time was a dice game. And he said, I was able to pinpoint, I think, what was for him the root cause of his addiction. And he said, it was not the beginning, it was not placing the bet, and it was not learning the result of the bet, win or lose. He said, it was when the dice were in the air. And when the dice were in the air, there was hope. And he says this, as long as the red dice are in the air, the gambler has hope, and hope is a wonderful thing to be addicted to. And that just blew my mind when I heard that. Because I thought, here is an individual, he was not addicted to winning and winning money. He was a wealthy man before he started gambling, and he became wealthy over and over again and continued to allow his, his wealth to uh, be lost by gambling. But he was addicted to that split second of time when the dice were in the air. He said it was like time stood still and there was hope. And that was his addiction. Um, Norm spent the vast majority of his life searching. And towards the end of his life... Um, he said this, God is the best. That's what I'm trying to get to is God. Every, every great novel I read, faith is the only salvation, but I don't know how to get it. I don't know how to suddenly believe. I'm too stupid or proud or pretend I'm smart. I've come to it a long time ago that I have to control over anything, but I'm struggling with faith. It's really hard to keep believing because it's the hardest thing to believe. Maybe I'm not deep enough. And that was, to me, one of the saddest things I have read where he realized that that is what he needed and he did not know how to get there. He did not know how to find it, but, but he felt like that's where he could finally find this sustainable hope that he only felt, felt for just a moment during his gambling years while the dice were suspended in the air. Uh, for those of you that, that know, he had dealt with cancer for several years before he died. When he died, it was a surprise to most people that knew him. They didn't even know he had been sick. He had said in other places that uh, he was almost to a debilitating level scared of death and scared to die. And uh, it caused him a lot of depression um, in, in the years that he was battling cancer leading up to his death. And in fact, someone told this story. They said um, the only person that they have heard uh, say that they heard Norm MacDonald say something about dealing with his cancer that eventually uh, took his life and, and say anything in a humorous way 
they shared this. Uh, I spoke to someone who was aware of his decline and remembers him explicitly making about uh, making this statement about his situation. Um, as he was being wheeled out into the sun-splashed atrium of a hospital where he was being treated, isn't it nice here, Norm? And his response was, yeah, he replied, in the atrium of diminished expectations. And I thought, that's what depression does, is it robs us of hope and it diminishes our expectations for a contented, peaceful, um, hopeful, joy-filled life. So um, when I came across that, and it's so funny, I'd been thinking for a couple of weeks how to start this class, and then I came across that yesterday and thought, wow, um, because I was going to get into some of the things that these three things rob us of, and if you picture worry, anxiety, and depression, that's a, those are three things that build upon one another, and imagine you have a, a basket of bread, and that bread represents your hope, and so worry comes along and reaches his hand into the basket and steals a couple of pieces of your bread that represent the hope that you have. And then anxiety comes along, and it grabs a few more pieces of that bread of, of, that represents your hope, and then depression comes along and just empties the, empties the basket. And there's, there's nothing left. And so these, these three emotions build upon one another, um, and then lead to this sustained state that so many uh, struggle with, so many deal with, and uh, what one of the things I hope to accomplish with this class is to make sure that we know as Christians if, um, if depression is an issue for you, uh, it is that doesn't mean there's something faulty with your faith, necessarily. Sometimes that can be the case. Not all the time um, is that the case. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to make sure that we address these topics in such a way where, let me just put it this way, Philippians 4, 6, um, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. You don't have to raise your hand, but have any of you felt anxiety when reading the instruction to not be anxious? Have any of you felt anxious when reading the command, do not be anxious? Because don't be anxious for anything. And then you start worrying, how am I going to do that? How is that possible? Well, you know, we have to understand, and part of what we're going to do with this class is to understand the definitions, the parameters, and the boundaries of words. Now, you know me, when I typically teach, uh, I'm very free with, with asking for um, comments and, and uh, thoughts, and, and we will do that. I just will beg for your indulgence for the majority of this class. If you have some thoughts and, and uh, observations, uh, we'll, we'll have some time towards the end of the class. But if you could just indul indulge me for a few moments tonight to kind of lay um, the groundwork a little bit for, for what our goals and objectives are for this class. Uh, words, instructions, commands... We have to understand definitions, parameters, boundaries. Uh, the same Paul who says, be anxious for nothing, also says, pray without ceasing. Well, does that mean that we can never sleep? Because praying without ceasing means a continual, persistent, never-ending prayer 
if we take it very literally, right? So uh, pray without ceasing. If we take that extremely literally, then we can't sleep, we can't do anything else. We've got to pray nonstop. That's impossible. It's very interesting, and we're going to get into this, that the same word that is translated as anxious in Philippians 4, 6, and Paul telling us not to be, he commends Timothy for being, using that same word in a different context in Philippians when he talks about Timothy, there's nobody like him and I that have, and depending on the translation that you're reading from, concern for you. It's the same word that's translated as anxiety in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. So we have to understand parameters, boundaries, definitions of words. I think what we have done as a disservice to one another um, for a long time is we have, I think, looked at these topics as taboo, as um, there being a stigma attached to them, that if you're struggling with them because Jesus says, do not worry four or five different times in Matthew chapter 6, multiple times in uh, Luke chapter 10, and Paul tells you to be anxious for nothing. And so if I'm struggling with worry, anxiety, depression, then I'm not doing something right spiritually, and, and I'm not going to let people know that I've got this issue or this struggle because then they'll wonder, well, what's wrong with you? And, and so that's been a, a bad way of going about dealing with these emotions um, if these are things that we struggle with, I think these are things that we need to share with one another and, and uh, help one another along with them because it doesn't necessarily mean that we're failing as a Christian. There's a lot more things um, that can be factors, and we'll talk about those more as we go. This is a book. Uh, I'm going to leave it. I've got another copy of this. I'm going to leave it on the bulletin board so you can, you can just kind of glide by. If you don't want to see anybody, if you don't want anybody to see you picking it up, you know, just nonchalantly you know, slide it into your, your pocket or purse and uh, just bring it back when you're done so somebody else can read it. Uh, many of you may know uh, just a wonderful Christian couple, uh, Brother James and Jean and Sister Jean Berry. Brother James went on to his reward a year or two ago, uh, faithful members of the church in this area for uh, decades. I did not know this about Brother James's wife. I think she's still living. Does anybody know if, if Sister Jean Berry is still living? I think she is. Uh, I believe right before he passed, they were members at university. But she wrote a book, self-published book, um, about a decade ago. The title is Memories, How They Linger. And the subtitle is A True Story About One Family's Struggle with Depression and Suicide. Um, Jean Berry had a lot of tragedy in her life. Again, faithful, faithful uh, Christian woman, her husband, uh, was as well. Uh, both grew up in, uh, well, Brother James grew up in a Christian home, and, and Sister Jean's uh, parents became Christians, I think, after she was born a little bit, but very moral, very decent. Her dad was a farmer, her mom a homemaker, just, uh, in, in fact, the first several chapters of the book, she just talks about the charmed life that she lived growing up uh, in her home, and, and just what a blessing it was to have the parents that she did, how great they were, how uh, good they were to her, um, their faith. Uh, both of her parents committed suicide seven years apart. Um, her mother was suffering from breast cancer and um, got into a deep depression uh, over her health. And for several weeks, her um, husband 
Sister Jean's father would stay at home with her rather than going to services. She wasn't feeling well enough to go. And, and um, Sister Jean tells the story in the book that on these Sunday mornings uh, that both of them were staying home, she would call on that particular Sunday morning and talk to her dad and ask how her mom was doing and say, you know, we're going to come over and, and see y'all in the afternoon. And so this particular Sunday morning, she calls and her mom answers the phone, and she's excited because this had been the first Sunday in several weeks that she had answered the phone, and she sounded real chipper. And she said, well, how are you doing, Mom? And she said, well, I'm doing great. So your dad's going to go to services this morning, and I just cooked him breakfast, and, and uh, we're having, having a great day. And while he was at services, she, she shot herself. Um, a shotgun that she had never used in her life, she shot it into the couch one time to make sure she knew how to use it, and then went into the hallway leaned it up against the washing machine, and shot herself while they were at services. Uh, seven years later, her father did the exact same thing in the exact same hall, leaning the gun up against the exact same washing machine. She had um, an uncle and another family member also that committed suicide at various times in their life. Godly Christian people. Um, it's, they didn't do this because um, they were faulty Christians. They didn't do this because they didn't have faith. They didn't do this because uh, they just weren't living the Christian life right. Um, they were struggling with, with severe debilitating depression and got to the point where that hope basket was empty and they, they could not see any other way or alternative out. I'll leave that book under the bulletin board. Um, outside after class if you would like uh, to read it. There's some difficult things, but some things that can give you some, some encouragement and hope as well. Um, I want to share, I, I tell you, I'm so thankful. You know, some of you, many of you maybe saw the email where um, I solicited any thoughts, observations, questions that you would like uh, shared or addressed during the course of the next few Wednesdays, and I am so thankful. Um, and I said it would be anonymous unless you uh, stated otherwise. And this, this good brother um, said it's okay to use his name. I, I'm so thankful for his courage, for his candor. I'm just going to read you his words uh, as he uh, sent them to me because they are just so spot on, so, so um, meaningful and impactful. Um, our brother Peyton uh, wrote this, and uh, what an example, brother. I, I just appreciate you and love you so much. We're, we're learning every day what, what a wordsmith uh, Peyton is and, and how, um, what a great communicator he is. And let, let me just share with you what he had to say. Uh, he said, depression and anxiety are familiar topics to me as I struggle with both. Last year, I started seeing a counselor who helped me understand and deal with them. One thing that I learned is that most people find it easier to admit to anxiety than depression. That was definitely the case for me. It took seeing a counselor for me to even accept that I was depressed, let alone tell others. Apparently, anxiety and depression go hand in hand. My counselor called them the ugly stepsisters. Anxiety pulls you in one direction, worrying about the future. Depression pulls you in the other direction, usually focused on the past. 
And between them, they don't let you rest. And they both lie to you all the time, telling you that you're not worthy and that nothing matters and that everyone you think or your friends are actually sick of you, but too nice to say so. I've been interested in the Christian response to anxiety and depression. There's such a simple answer in Jesus loves you, be happy, but that's not enough. If just choosing happiness was all it took, there would not be a single anxious or depressed person out there. And even in the worst grip of my anxiety and depression, I never really questioned God's goodness. It was more like, I know the Bible is true, and I wouldn't be feeling like this unless I was failing in some way. Peyton is just hitting the nail on the head. And, and this is, I think, why some um, Christians are hesitant to share this burden with other Christians. It's, there's got to be something wrong with me for feeling this way. There's got to be something, there's got to be something I'm not doing right in my Christian walk for me to, to struggle chronically with these emotions. And, and that, that is one of the lies that uh, the devil convinces us is true. Even in the worst grip of my anxiety and depression, I never really questioned God's goodness. It was more like, I know the Bible is true, and I wouldn't be feeling like this unless I was failing in some way. And if you're already depressed, when you start to think that way, it's a whirlpool of circular thinking that will just suck you right down the toilet. You can see happiness, you can see God's love, but it's like standing outside in the snow, looking at it through a window. It's there, you believe in it, but you feel separated from it or that it's being withheld. And frankly, the church has a problem dealing with it. People who don't understand anxiety or depression think that they can just cheer you up by telling you Jesus loves you, or they can berate you into having a better attitude by telling you that you aren't being faithful enough. People do not know how to cope with your negative emotions, and they think they can talk you out of them. When what a depressed or anxious person really needs is someone who says, I love you, I'm here for you, I'm sorry you're going through this. Christ said, be anxious for nothing. And Payne, I'm so glad you included that because that, that was one of the passages we were going to spend some time on um, with this series. Christians want to use that as a stick to drive out the negative feelings from themselves or others, but there are different kinds of anxiety and they need different treatments to overcome. That's part of what we'll be talking about um, here shortly. There are the real everyday worries that come with human life, and I think that's specifically what Christ is talking about here. And then there's the crippling emotional state that requires treatment. In my experience, anxiety and depression don't go away altogether. I've learned to cope with them, to recognize the lies when they start to speak, etc. But there are still days when they both loom large with counseling and effort, though I have my life back. Oh, with counseling and effort, though, I have my life back more often than not. Um, again, Brother Payton, thank you so much for allowing me to read this and allowing me to um, to credit you with this. What a, uh, what a fantastic example you are in, in sharing this and, and, you know, helping us see. And, I mean, and, and you know, people like Peyton, you, we, just, we just love him because he's, he's positive and he's jovial and he's inviting and he's welcoming and he's all these great things, but but he's allowing us to see inside and realize that sometimes what you're seeing on the outside is not how he's feeling on the inside. And, and I absolutely know for a fact Peyton is not in a room by himself uh, in that walk. I know he is not. Um, I have, well, thousands of anecdotes, but we, we'll, we'll stop there before we continue on. Okay, light bulb moment I had, Brother Larry. 
I love these. Oh my goodness, I had never come across this before. So one of the things, of course, God wants us to do is what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. There's only one other time that word is used. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. The, the word that is translated as casting in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Oh man, this, this just brought a smile to my face when, when I... There are so many little nuances in scriptures, you well know, that you may read something five gajillion times and then on five gajillion and one. Oh my goodness, I did not know that was there. And so that word casting only appears twice, and here's the other time. Under the subheading of the Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, you remember the two disciples have been told by Jesus to go to the place where they'll find this Colt that's never been ridden, tied, and so you, you know what's going on here. Uh, let's look at verse, beginning of verse 33. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and, and here's the only other time it's used. I'm reading from the ESV, and it's translated here, Throwing their cloaks, cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Okay. So here's the two times this word casting, throwing is used. And you've got what is being cast in 1 Peter 5, 7 is, is our burdens, our anxieties, our worries and concerns. And the only other time it's used is here in Luke chapter 19. I want you to think about this, this same spiritual idea of casting worry. And I want you to look at the way it's used to describe these two disciples casting their cloaks onto this colt and then setting Jesus on top of them. And now Jesus is riding on top of your cares and your concerns and your worries. So I, I want these cloaks to represent the worries and concerns that Peter is alluding to in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. And so these two men, I know it's two totally different things, but Tying it in, it paints a beautiful picture of what the Lord wants us to do with our anxieties and our worries and those things that cause us, at times, this, this debilitating state of depression. Cast them on this cult and then set Jesus on top of those cares and concerns and worries so that now he's riding on top of your concerns. And then as he's riding along, Jesus has this limitless powered back, and he's got this uh, Santa-like sack on his back that never runs out of room. And now as you are practicing 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, he's sitting on top of your, the concerns that you had at that moment when you initially engaged in this process of casting your cares, your burdens upon him. So you did it that one time because it was a singular act in Luke chapter 19, it's a continual perpetual act in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. So you got Jesus sitting on top of your cares and concerns, the ones that you brought to him on that occasion, and then as they continue to manifest themselves in your day-to-day -day life, you're casting. So you cast and you're casting. You're continually throwing these burdens. Jesus is sitting on top of the ones that you brought to him initially, and then when others come up, he's got the sack on his back. He's sitting on top. You're putting your cares... You're putting your cares underneath him. You're putting your cares on top of him. 
And he's telling you, I'm fine with you doing either one and both. And I'm going to help you through this. Um, when it comes to worry, anxiety, and depression, here's, here, here's um, the not so great news. For, for some of us, many of us, um, those feelings are never going to completely dissolve. For some, there, there's a, a chemical thing going on where it's, it's physiologically impossible um, w- without the aid of medication for, for uh, those, those situations. When you think about, uh, when I was looking at the three different um, reasons for anxiety, you've got, well, I'm really jumping way ahead of my notes here. Um, let me skip ahead just for a second. Three forms of anxiety. You've got chemical. These are neurons out of balance. And thinking like when we go through puberty, ladies, when you go through menopause, these are when, when chemicals are working in a not normal fashion. And so you've got, uh, you've got chemical causes of anxiety. You've got reactive forms of anxiety. These are t- extended periods of stress that cause your mind not to be able to turn off. Uh, you can't put your mind in park. You can't let it idle. Uh, and then you've got traumatic, so uh, you've got reactive where it's, it's this daily buildup of stresses that cause anxiety, and then uh, when anxiety is, is fermented completely, then it, it becomes depression. And then you have traumatic, that that's re- that's, can be a reaction to a singular event um, that, that causes anxiety. Um, and so, you know, th- there are some that it's not going to be able to go away because there's, there's a chemical component to it. There are others that there may not be a chemical component, but it, it's, it, it's a constant struggle that maybe it's never going to be removed from you, but what can happen over time um, is it becomes manageable. You know, what uh, Paul tells us about temptation uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is God does not get us to a point where temptation ceases to occur. Uh, That's not the promise. The promise is not walk with me, trust in me, and you're going to get to a point where you will never experience temptation again. What's the promise concerning temptation? It says, with every temptation, I'll give you the tools to withstand. You'll be able to bear it. You'll be able to manage it. It's not going to disappear. It's not going to go away, but you'll, you'll have the tools to get through and get to the other side. Um, and, and so what we're going to talk about over the next few Wednesdays is things that, that will help us, equip us with the tools where when, when worry is, is moving into anxiety and anxiety is wanting to take us in, into depression to be able to have those, those coping mechanisms in place that will help us not to the point where they go away and, and never bother us again, but to the point where they're not <clears throat> debilitating. <coughs> Excuse me. We have to understand the parameters and boundaries with worry. <clears throat> when Paul says to be anxious for nothing, he is not saying you have no permission from God to ever be worried or concerned about anyone or anything. Because Paul uses that same word to commend Timothy's relationship and concern for the Philippian church. He uses that same word, Peyton, I'm sure you know, in the passage that you shared with us in the devotional um, concerning the body of Christ at the end 
uh, of that, that section of Scripture. Uh, Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, talks about the concern that we are to have for one another as the representative body parts that make up the body of Christ. So the same word that is translated as anxious, don't do that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Timothy's commended for having it in um, Philippians 2 and in and, and the analogy of, of the, the spiritual body that makes up, or, or we who make up the spiritual body of Christ, having this concern for one another. Paul, when he was listing his sufferings in, um, was it 2 Corinthians chapter 11? What was the thing that he said at the end? Thank you. I appreciate that. I brought some cough drops and forgot I had them in here. Thank you, Jonathan. When Paul was listing his sufferings, what was the one he said that he dealt with every day? Anxiety for the churches. Concern, worry for the churches. So um, Paul is saying, don't be anxious about anything, but then says to us, there's a part of me that worries every single day. So what we have to understand is what is meant by these words and, and what are we allowed to do that does not move into what is displeasing to God. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. <clears throat> Don't dare tell a mother when she's got a teenage child on a road trip to not be concerned about the safety of that child while they're on that trip. You want to get yourself in trouble? <clears throat> Go to a mom whose inexperienced child is driving four hours and say to them, Paul said, be anxious for nothing. Don't be concerned. Don't you worry. Don't, don't give a thought to, to that 16-year-old that you brought into the world behind that wheel for four hours. <clears throat> Here's what is natural, and I, I would, you know, I know we need to be very careful when we say what God would and would not be okay with, but it would be very natural for God to observe a mom say to that child before they left, you wear your seatbelt, you give them all the rules for the road, and the second you pull in safely to your destination, I need a call or a text to let me know you got there. And then that mom spending an hour of those four hours praying for the safety of that child. Perfectly understandable, perfectly natural. Here's where worry and concern could become unhealthy. You're going to pull over every five minutes at the nearest intersection. You're going to tell me everything's good so far. I am going to follow behind you in this drive that you're making and, and to make sure you're obeying the speed limit, to make sure you get there carefully. I'm going to be right behind you every step of the way. And for you, the whole four hours that they're gone, to literally the world stand still. You can do nothing else. It is now, you are so overcome with anxiousness and worry that it is now affected your ability to function as a normal human being. It's perfectly natural and normal and authorized in Scripture to have worry and concern for the welfare, for the well-being of our family, our children, our church family. 
But when we allow those natural emotions to then go into an unhealthy place, you know, almost every emotion that we've got um, is perfectly uh, God-approved when it's used in its, its proper way. It's okay for us to be angry, isn't it? The instruction is be angry and sin not. So do not act upon that anger in a way which now moves that emotion from natural to sinful. And so with worry and concern, we have to understand the boundaries and parameters for this word. God is not saying you don't be worried, concerned about anything, anybody. No. Understand what God is instructing us. He's not telling us to do things that are literally impossible for us to do. We've got a few minutes left, so I'll stop there, and Andrew, we'll start with you, and I think, Brother Cliff, you had your hand. Y'all help us finish out the last few moments tonight. Absolutely. Oh, fantastic point, Andrew. Yeah, we're going to get into more of some of those unintended consequences of allowing these natural emotions um, to rule us and then to uh, in inhibit us from, from doing the things that, that God has called on us to do in our day-to-day -day life. Brother Cliff?
such a great illustration and um, just reminding us of what Jesus wants to be for us. And again, I don't want to, um, I don't want to do anything to downplay the struggle that, that this issue is for so many because Peyton is so right in what he said. We can do great harm to someone who is struggling with these emotions, especially when, when worry has led to anxiety, which is, has led, you know, has contributed to depression. And just telling them, just pray more, just study more. Just read Philippians 4, 6. Read Matthew 6, 25 and following. When we're saying this to a fellow Christian, we're probably saying this to someone who has those verses memorized. They've agonized on the, over those verses. They've, they've read that verse to say, why can't I not do it? I, you're not telling me anything I don't know. Um, but let's, let's never lose sight of uh, the ways that Jesus can help us not get to the point where it's never going to be an issue and never going to be a struggle, but he can help us make it manageable. Um, let me share with you. We've got just, when are we supposed to be done? Is it a quarter after or ten after? Well, hey, nobody gave the answer, so we're going to go to a quarter after, Okay. Um, I think I see, well, I bet you it's 10 after because now I'm seeing people come to the door. I don't want to rush through this because th this illustration is so good. We're going to need to save this for next Wednesday. Um, if you do have thoughts, again, Peyton gave us permission, um, and, and I'm so thankful for that. If you've got a thought, an observation, something that you have gone through that you would like to see addressed in this class, feel free to share it with me. And let me, your name will be withheld unless you explicitly tell me you can include my name in this. So do not fear uh, it not being anonymous because uh, it will be if that's the way you want it to be. But I want us to make sure that as we go through this, um, we address it in such a way that, that is edifying, encouraging, and, and hopefully helpful. Um, the, these issues... As far as the statistics, uh, they're off the charts. I'll, I'll share with you this, the statistics of those uh, just in our country that are dealing with uh, chronic anxiety disorder and depression. And um, we know it exists in the church and not because uh, these people that are struggling with it are failing as Christians. Um, it, it is just the, the struggle that they are having to fight on a regular basis. And hopefully we'll be very supportive, encouraging, and... Um, burden sharing for us as we go through the study. Thank you so much for your kind attention tonight. We'll move on to the next part of our service.